Hi, everybody. This is Brian with Everybody's National Parks. What follows is the first episode in our new series on Yellowstone National Park, which Danielle and I visited in the winter last December. So uh, we're very excited to share with you our trip report to see Yellowstone in the dead of winter. Uh, and then we're very excited with uh, the subsequent episodes based on Yellowstone. We have a lot of great interview subjects, a lot of great tips to really tackle one of the more iconic parks in, in our system. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, we, we wanted to talk a little bit about Virgin Islands National Park and St. John and the U.S. Virgin Islands as a whole. Uh, as we're sitting here, it's been a week since Hurricane Irma uh, not only caused a lot of devastation in Florida and the Keys, but a little bit underreported, in my opinion, really, really wrecked um, the U.S. Virgin Islands and surrounding islands as well. Uh, Danielle, uh, the kids and I all visited Virgin Islands National Park this February. That was to be the next series after Yellowstone. Um, so we're heartbroken because we, we had such a great time there. We loved St. John, the island. We loved the park, uh, as you can imagine, and, and we were very excited to share our experiences with you. But now I think we need to focus on helping um, out the people of St. John in particular. So uh, please, uh, please give to St. John Rescue. You can find them on their website, which is stjohnrescue.com. They have their own GoFundMe page dedicated to recovering and helping the victims of Hurricane Irma. Uh, they also have a Facebook page, and you can give through that. So please, wherever you can find them, uh, please and please be generous. Those of you who, who love the Virgin Islands, those of you who love Virgin Island National Park, or maybe you're just a lover of the national park system. Again, uh, I, we have no idea as of now uh, the devastation to the park, but that is a secondary concern, of course, to uh, the people in a lot of their homes, which it seems like the, the majority were uh, destroyed. So uh, we're going to be generous. We would urge you to be generous in giving to St. John Rescue. 100% of their proceeds are going to go to uh, the victims and help rebuild their lives. Um, so with that, thank you for your support. Thank you for being generous. Uh, and with that, here is our first episode on Yellowstone National Park. Welcome to Everybody's National Parks, the podcast about family adventure in our national parks. Today, we're going to talk about our trip to Yellowstone National Park. Brian, do you want to kick us off and tell us how you came up with this idea to visit Yellowstone National Park in the wintertime? Yeah, that's the big thing. It's not, uh, it's not your typical uh, visit to Yellowstone. We went in... in wintertime, right before the Christmas holiday, right when the snow lodge opened up or just a few days afterwards. And that was the basis of the idea. Have never been, neither of us have ever been to Yellowstone or the greater Yellowstone uh, ecosystem. Have never been to Wyoming. Have never been to Montana. So this was a new adventure for us. And a little bit unorthodox thought it would be worthwhile to go off season in the winter time. We're not. We're from the Northeast, so we get winter. We understand winter, but we get nothing like the winters you get. One would get out west. So we thought getting out there in uh, without a lot of people around, where we can have um, we can have the parks run to ourselves more or less. And we'll talk about in a little bit. But also seeing Yellowstone 
in the middle of winter. Uh, we thought that would be a spectacular way to, to spend what for us was also a special event. Uh, so we went for, uh, for your birthday, Danielle. It was a special thing that we did. So we'll talk about that a, a little bit around special events and the, and the park. And also to note, we're also generally not big winter winter people in terms of uh, enjoying winter activities. Uh, we tend to do more uh, spring, summer, fall type outdoor things. So this was a whole new adventure for us. Sure, get get out of the comfort zone type of uh, type of trip as well. So Danielle, do you want to do want to talk about some of the contours, some of the because uh, I think this is important for anyone thinking about getting to Yellowstone for a winter trip, it's not easy. So do you want to talk about some of the mechanics about how we how we got there and, and what, some, what some people should consider? Yes, and um, I, I will say that, I, I will describe that, and I will also say that luck was on our side because there were so many um, steps to overcome uh, to, make, to arrive and get there for us. So to get to Yellowstone, we flew into Bozeman, Montana, um, a very late flight. And so we had to stay in a hotel that night. Um, getting a car rental was barely stayed in the hotel. It was, yeah, I think we, we slept for three hours. Um, and, uh, most, uh, most of the car rental places were closed by the time we got to the airport. Um, slept for three hours, got up early and then drove in the dark to Mammoth Hot Springs from Bozeman, which was an icy, snowy ride. But um, as the sun was starting to come up, it was also very beautiful. Actually, to back it up, because it was my responsibility to get the rental car, it was uh, only our uh, rental car company that closed. The rest were open, but Murphy's Law, ours, and, and thanks, Budget, for staying not staying open when we got there. Uh, that was the only one not open. So fortunately... The good people at National were right next uh, right next to them, and they had vehicles available. But that was uh, that was something to consider: is getting in late, and then our flight being delayed. So by the time we got in, uh, things were shutting down. But fortunately, we were able to to get a car, even though the one we had reserved wasn't uh, wasn't available. So we got to Mammoth Hot Springs, and going through the arch and seeing that park sign was very exciting. Also along the road, we saw a snowshoe, two snowshoe hare, which was also exciting. And um, we went to meet the snow coach because all of the roads are closed at this time of year in the park. Um, there's one road that stays opened um, in the north but um, otherwise, to get down to Old Faithful and the lodge down there, you have to take a snow coach through there, uh, the concessionaire Zantera that operates the hotels and tours and stuff inside the park at that time of year. So what did you think about the uh, the snow coach? For, I thought it was uh, it was part of the experience. It wasn't just a conveyance. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was part of the attraction. It was part of the experience. It was... Um, well, first, let's note that we, with all of our travel and um, and uh, transfers and stuff, there was lots of snowstorms across the country that the day that we traveled, and we, so we arrived on Saturday um, after our night at the hotel and in Mammoth Hot Springs to meet the snow coach. Friday, they just got dumped on. They got three feet of snow. 
and the that was actually the first day of the lodge opening for the season. And so the park really had a lot of work and Zantara had a lot of work to do to clear the roads. Um, so we were delayed in the departure of the snow, the snow coach because the roads were not yet um, cleared for us to get down there. And um, once we did get into the vehicle, it's like this big yellow school bus. Uh, those of you who have visited Yellowstone would recognize their iconic yellow school bus for tours. Uh, this vehicle has these gigantic wheels that are either round or triangle um, with I don't treads or tracks. So, so the wheels weren't triangles, but it was a tank treads were triangular. So there was two types. There was the overinflated tires, almost like monster truck tires, and then and we got to ride both. Uh, and then there were basically tank treads, which were triangular in nature, but uh, that was the way to navigate the snow. So on one hand, little kids, I would imagine, well, this big kid loved being on it, and I joked around, do, do we get to drive it? We should mention that we did not have kids on this particular trip. This was just the two of us. Uh, so we were able to, to leave the kids with grandma and grandpa, and uh, which is why we had a very tight schedule to, to leave them with the grandparents and the logistics to get to Bozeman. Uh, it was pretty tight. We were, I think you would agree, we were a beneficiary and lucky because the snow that hit the day before, the consequence was, like many days after snowstorms, the next day was beautiful. It was very cold, but crystal blue sky, snowpack, pure uh, snow on the ground. So we timed it out perfectly, but it's it's a consideration. I don't know if we try to do that again next year. We very may easily be be in jeopardy in making our snow coach and getting the trip on and getting enough days in if we're sitting out. As a matter of fact, folks we met on the snow coach, that happened to them. They were supposed to start their, their trip a few days earlier, and they ended up just having to hang out in whatever hotel they were hanging out for a couple of days. So... This is a, a flexibility, which we didn't have and we lucked out, but if you can build in flexibility to this trip, I, I think it's a, a necessity. Yeah, we did get lucky, and our driver slash guide of the snow coach, who uh, he had been working in the park for uh, 20 or 30 years, something like that, he said that the conditions that we had that very day of our arrival were just stunningly beautiful, and he hasn't seen the park look like that in 15 years. So much snow all at once, um, untouched, just looking pristine with the bright blue sky and sun shining. It was really gorgeous. So talk about talk about the cold, because uh, how especially you're very sensitive to cold. So was this how was this the coldest you were ever uh, in your life, or was it manageable? How did you manage it? Anyone thinking about going out, is this, is this prohibitive? Was the cold that, uh, that bad? It actually wasn't. So first, let me say that when we got to uh, the meeting spot for the snow coach and I was speaking to the staff there, they told me when they got up super early in that morning to go to work, it, the temperature read as low as negative 40 degrees. That's negative four zero, 40 degrees. While we were out on the snow coach and getting out for stops to look around, it was negative 25 degrees. That was very, very cold. Uh, 
before the prior to the trip, my anticipation, I was very, very nervous about the cold because I do not like cold. I don't like being cold. And we had a little cold spell before we left home, which was 20 degrees. So that's, you know, <laughs> much warmer than negative 25 degrees. And I was freezing. However, for this trip, I was prepared. Um, for the ride down, I was just wearing regular clothes because I thought I would just be in a vehicle. But the rest of the trip, when I when we were out doing our activities at any given time, I just had so many layers on, but was still very comfortable because they were the right layers for the conditions. I would have like six layers on top and four layers on bottom, three layers on my head and on my hands and three layers on my feet. And really, my core was always warm just there were a few times where my face, my fingertips, and my toes got cold. But other than that, I was comfortable. Yeah, I think, and you hit it, the, the key is, uh, is just as long as you're well-layered, you're in good shape. And I think that's, we were well-layered for the whole trip. And so I think, uh, especially kind of getting thrown in the deep end of the pool on that first day, what I found, I think we we talked about this, is on subsequent days where it was all the way up to just zero degrees, felt balmy. We were fine because that first day was was pretty bone chilling. But again, even then, just uh, we we kind of moderated our time outside of the snow coach, poking around. And we were, if you were well layered and you had the gloves on and you had enough, uh, you had enough on your extremities, you were fine for a while. So uh, now that's not to say we did pass and we saw some great, uh, if you remember, Danielle, we saw some great wildlife. We saw a coyote bounding along which was a highlight for me. That was a highlight for me too, and I was able to get some good pictures. We, we got some great pictures. We saw plenty of bison, of course, which are pretty iconic for for the park in terms of wildlife. But the other wildlife we saw including is, Well, I wanted to say the bison. You know, you see lots of bison in the meadows and stuff along the way, but then bison in the middle of the road where we had to stop our vehicle and wait for 20 bison <laughs> to walk by the snow coach so that we could proceed. <laughs> Which was part of the fun, right? That was part of the fun. But the point I was getting to, the other wildlife we saw, of course, just to put a, a punctuation on, on the cold, we saw two dudes out there that clearly were camping, had been camping out the night before. They were dragging their packs on sleds, as they do, uh, going to their next campsite. So despite how cold it was, uh, and we were in and out of a snow coach, there were two two campers out there who had camped out the night before and were on their way to the next site. So there's that level of extreme bushcraft that was going on. We did not participate in any of that, but it was... Uh, we did see people out there camping. We saw traces of campsites as well. So that wasn't our that wasn't our jam. That seems crazy to me. And I did ask some of the rangers about that. Like, is that allowed? Is it safe? And they they say you, you know they warn people and tell people to make sure that they are prepared. But you know, people have the right to do that if they wish. Yeah. Next year for us. What do you think? No, thank you. All right. Well. Uh, I wanted to ask you about so so we got there, we got uh, on the on the snow coach. Several hours. How long was it? Three hours or so. Four. Four, Four hours. hours. So it was a nice long time on in. And that was including a, a couple of stops. Stops. Um, a warming hut stop. Yep. And including hot cocoa. <laughs> so again, it wasn't just the conveyance; it was just part of the tour itself. Uh, we got to the snow lodge. So, what'd you think of the snow lodge? It was. Uh, 
It was lovely. I really enjoyed it. I was, it, it, uh, again, in anticipation of this trip, I was disappointed that we weren't uh, going to be able to see the inside of the, you know, famous Old Faithful Lodge. And this was um, the Snow Lodge just next to it. Um, but it was still beautiful and uh, very cozy inside, a fireplace in the lobby with very nice chairs in front of it, which we took advantage of every single day whenever we came in from outside and in the evening before we'd have dinner. Um, the rooms were comfortable, you know, nothing fancy, but um, it was just a very nice environment. And, um, and it was just across the way from the visitor center, which... And behind the visitor center is where Old Faithful is located. So whenever we were um, not doing anything and I saw that Old Faithful was about to go off, we would try to scramble across to just go check it out. And um, the one other thing that I wanted to mention is uh, I loved the feel of being at camp because on the snow coach, we were on the snow coach with for four hours. There were just a couple of other... Um, travelers there and so we got to know the people on our snow coach and throughout the weekend we would see them as we passed it through uh, to and from meals or activities and uh, that was really fun it, it was unanticipated yeah unanticipated fun so you make these relationships and again this is this is the theme of of this podcast segment is uh you know it's yellowstone with a what a Tenth, the twentieth of the who knows a very tight population all all around us in the park, and so you got to see some of the same faces, and it was great to develop those relationships. So it was a, I thought that was a uh, an unanticipated benefit, and I'm with you. I thought the lodge was part of the attraction. Uh, usually, when we visit the parks, the lodge is a place we stay. It's nice. We look around. We're there for a few minutes, and then we we go on our way. In in winter, the lodge also was part of the attraction. It was it was always great to come back uh, at the end of the day, sit in front of that fire for an hour or so. Read. I'd have a I'd have a huckleberry liqueur, hot chocolate, which was the way I'd, I'd warm up, and uh, it, it was just a very nicely done and appointed uh, lodge. Newish, right? It was it was it's relatively new. Late nineties, ninety nine, something yeah, I, like that. Yeah, I think it was nineteen ninety nine. And it, I spoke to um, someone at the front desk to ask about the number of visitors, and they they told me that the park has, I believe, six million visitors per year. It, yeah, does that, that sound right? right? Um, but in the winter, it's ten percent. Yeah, there you go. So, and um, they said that two thousand sixteen had one million more visitors due to the centennial. And the other thing to note. Um, that they told me is that the hotel reservations inside the park for, so for any place you want to stay inside the park opens in May for the following year. So May, 2017, you would be booking for 2018 and it books up immediately. Like many of these park lodges. So again, we felt lucky because this came together for us last May. So we felt pretty lucky. It did feel we weren't there for the high time of winter being there right uh, after the first weekend it opened but before the holidays, and I think before we left, we felt it really starting to fill up as there were families. And I thought this was a cool tradition that we may steal at some point. But I thought it was cool that there were families there who were going to stay over Christmas and celebrate Christmas there. And so I, I thought that was that was pretty neat. We, we had to leave before Christmas to 
to go obviously spend Christmas with our kids and and uh, and and uh, their grandparents. But I thought it was great. The snow lodge, even though it was new, I was worried it was going to be uh, so new that it didn't reflect kind of the theming and the feel of the traditional park lodges. And I didn't get that. I thought it was just fine. It 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 felt like a it felt like it fit in with kind of the the architecture and the feeling and the coziness, as you said, Danielle, of uh, of the other national park lodges we've been to. So we loved it. Yeah, it doesn't have the history of um, the Old Faithful Lodge, but it's still a beautiful building inside and from the outside. So we, we don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but uh, you're there, you're a captive audience eating. H- how does that work? What did we do? Yeah, so, I mean, you really can't, go anywhere once you're there um, unless you're taking the snow coach. So there's a restaurant in there. There's a coffee shop. There's the Bear Grill that's open for lunch. And um, and that's it. For the restaurant, for dinner, you have to make reservations. Uh, we were fine the first night or two. But as Brian said, as the weekend went on and people were starting to come in to spend Christmas there, it was packed and there was no flexibility. So um, you really do need to make reservations. And we didn't realize this in advance. And I wish we had known that um, the visitor center, the park rangers usually give a talk every evening on different topics. And we're kind of geeks and like to attend those. Um, And so, uh, but sometimes we couldn't because there was no other time to eat. And those were always at, I think, 7 p.m. And because we were so tired, we liked to have dinner very early. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, the early bird special worked for us. One night I was passed out by eight o'clock. Um, so and the food? That's that's where to eat. Um, the food was good. It was really good. It's it was fine. Um, some you know, like any place, some things were better than others. I wouldn't say that it was like fantastic. If you know, if you had choices, you must must eat there. But it was very, it was good. And I know um, you had your fair share of bison. Yeah, my my <laughs> joke was because we kept hearing that, of course, the lore and uh, fact is that the Native Americans use every part. Of a bison when they would uh, when they would hunt bison, and so my joke was I too, pretty much ate every part of a bison. I think I ate a whole bison while I was there. But I, I my recommendation would be to stick to the bison products on the menu. That was uh, that those never were all very very good. That was yeah. all very good. Mm-hmm. I think it's just logic. I think that the items that may have not originated nearby were were not as good or fresh. But uh, the bison, I, and I don't know where it came from. Uh, but the bison was really good, and so we we this ribs burger, bratwurst at one point too, which was a favorite. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the food was pretty good. But again, and and we'll get to this in a second. You're a captive audience, so there's a uh, there's some pros and cons to that. So just want to move to Danielle along those lines. How does it work? So Zantara, you're there at the Snow Lodge. Plenty of obviously the the weather is a, is an issue uh, in terms of being portable. So what do you do? What are, how do you get around for activities? Oh, before we move on to that, I just wanted to say one more thing um, about regarding lunch. You can get a, a box lunch, you know, at breakfast. Just request a box lunch to take with you on so you have it when you're out and about. Um, and then there's also the Bear Grill. And we actually never managed to eat there because when we were hungry, so was everybody else. And... There's lots of day trippers. There are tours 
organized from the towns out, just outside of the park. And so people come, they see Old Faithful erupt, and then they come into the grill to get their lunch, and then they load back on their vehicle to head back out of the park. So it's crowded. So point there is if, if you go into the Bear Grill, there's not a line. Just go order. Don't don't uh, be time it right. Yeah, or, or you can be crushed in the line. <laughs> we ran into that issue. So again, getting tours. So how, how does it? What do you do? How does it work? So Zantara has a number of tours. Um, they have which also you need to um, book in advance because they fill up. Um, the prices range from reasonable to quite expensive. Um, there's we did a tour of what is it called? West Thumb Geyser Basin. Um, There's uh, tours to the Grand Canyon of Yellowstone. There's a photography tour. There's wildlife tours. Um, Am I forgetting anything? Those are the main ones. And some of those, like I think um, the one to the Grand Canyon was, uh, you could choose either a snowshoeing tour or a, um, cross-country ski tour. So so here's the thing. It, this trip was, and I don't think I'm, I'm stealing your thunder, Danielle, this trip was magnificent in, in many, many ways. And we would recommend this to, to anybody, uh, even if you're not necessarily like we are, snow people in the wintertime. And that is, uh, you know, we're not skiers. Uh, we're not snowmobile riders. But even then, it was great. I think the the one consideration is it's hard to do this trip on a budget. Leave aside that Bozeman and Jackson aren't exactly major hubs, so the flights in are going to be a little bit more pricey. Uh, but the snow coach, there was a cost to the snow coach, and that's the way you have to come in. Uh, uh, the snow lodge was not completely unreasonable, but again, it wasn't Motel 6 prices. The food... You have to get that food on campus unless you brought some food in with you, but there's no kitchenette in the uh, in the um, in the rooms. So, and the tours as well. You don't necessarily have to do tours. There are some ranger-led tours, but the preponderance of activities are led by the concessionaire, which is Zantara, and they all have a price tag. So, if, for example, we went. To, we'll talk about it a bit. We went to West Thumb. There was a cost there. We You could not get to West Thumb unless you had some concession, whether it was Santerra, a snowmobile ride, something along those lines. You just couldn't go on your own. There were plenty of trails around the Old Faithful campus that you can do, but I, I think one thing to keep in mind, if you're thinking about in the winter, we would absolutely recommend this, but the one thing that it was tough for us to square is how would you do this on a budget given that you're a captive audience for the Snow Lodge the restaurants of the Snow Lodge, and I think the tours itself. So I, I know what did you what did you think about that? Yeah, there was um, so one of the friends that we made on the snow coach that first day, uh, a, a family, um, mom, dad, and their daughter, their college age daughter. They live within one or two hours from the park, so it is in their backyard, and they go there, um, you know, at least once a year. This seemed like a, little, a bit of a treat this year for them to stay at the lodge. And from what, from talking to them and what I observed, they stayed at the lodge, they ate their meals, but they just did their own ex- activities. They had their own cross-country skis and their own snowshoes, and they 
enjoyed the Geyser Basin and that would be amazing and beautiful for the weekend. There's different trails you can do and they had a great time. So that would be doing it, you know, more on a budget. Of course, they've been to Yellowstone many, many times. Um, the other thing that people can do, um, our other friends that we met on the snow coach, uh, told me about the one road that is open in the park. Um, so you can, for example, stay in the t- a town outside of the park and the road that goes between Gardner, Montana to Cook City. It's the only road that stays open to the public. It's 15 mile, 52 miles through the park. You can see a lot of the thermal features and wildlife, and then you could arrange tours from outside the park. So, and um, they told me there's like a, you know, Motel Six or something like that in Cook City. You, you could stay in a motel there, and so that would be a way to do it in winter, more on a budget. Probably. So th- there is an option. You know, it's not as it's not as I think with the national parks. One thing that's, uh, I think that's very attractive to everybody, again, it's everybody's park, right? So it's the ideas for the entrance fee. You're in, if you need a campsite, it's 25 35 bucks, depending on the, depending on the park, and you can have a, a, a spectacular but budget trip. Hard to, harder to do, but not impossible to do here. I'd say the only thing I'd add is there were ranger-led hikes and ranger-led walks, snowshoeing walks, but, uh, uh, Again, that that was limited. Whereas, of course, Santerra, the concessionaire, there were there were myriad all day long, morning, afternoon, a couple things at night actually. So more opportunity with the concessionaire. But if your budget, you can just do your own thing, as our friends did, uh, or you can stick to some of the ranger led activities. But again, that had to be around the uh, the Yellowstone Lodge campus uh, because we took some of these coach tours out to warming huts where there was a national park ranger on site but how else would you get out there unless there was a concessionaire taking you out there snowmobile tour you couldn't just walk out there i guess theoretically you could if you were one of these campers or if you were a robust nordic skier you could really haul it out there but some of these places were were fairly uh distant mm-hmm. so let's get i i you know so what did we do well i'd love to talk about some of the things that we did and do and, and again I, I think um the contrast between what you would do in the winter how it would look, and how it looks the same spot, same place, but the summertime, that was, I felt that was special. I felt we were getting away with something. But but do you want to go over some of the things we did? So that, we talked about the snow coach. So Sunday, what did we, uh, what did we do on that Sunday? Um, so we did, we first started with a, a guided tour. There's a ski shop in uh, in the lodge, and we did a guided tour, a snowshoe guided tour, Um I don't know exactly where we went, but, you know, it was in the Geyser Basin. I know we went up and down. <laughs> it, it was close. It was a, uh, so it wasn't, uh, we didn't go far afield. We went through where the old camp, those who know Yellowstone, where there were old campsites and cabins, which have since given away and been basically knocked down to create a little bit more space. And there's been some new growth trees. We walked around there. What was great was just within a few feet, we got away from it all. And even though we weren't far from the road or the lodges, we were in the middle of this forest and there was plenty to see. So it wasn't um, it wasn't too far afield or really backcountry at all. 
But for us, again, in the wintertime, snow cover, it seemed within minutes that we were out in the backcountry. Yeah, it did feel like that. And um, at at points, I had mentioned earlier that three feet of snow fell the day before. Um, there were areas where it was five feet of snow, and we could tell that just by where, um, you know, where we were <laughs> next to a tree in terms of the height. Um, and our, our tour guide was fabulous. He was so informative. Um, I think we learned a lot, and he knew about history and nature and um, what else? And all the things were, yeah, just a little bit of everything. And it was uh, a really nice way to learn about Yellowstone and get out, get active a little bit. So, yeah, in general, the Santerra tour guides were pretty good. And we, you know, some were better than others, but they were pretty good. So we we didn't feel as though we had paid money for nothing. We learned, we had someone take us around. It was, uh, it was pretty good and pretty special. So, uh, and, uh, that day, we also did a cross-country ski lesson because um, I had done it once before. Brian, For Brian, that was your very first time on skis. Uh, Long, Long Island's pretty flat, so that <laughs> this, there was never an opportunity as a kid. So this, this was, again, getting outside the comfort zone, so uh, we, we gave it a try. And um, I was really glad we did the lesson because then we did it on our own the next day. And um, it was really helpful, just all the tips that, uh, that Crystal gave us. Um, you could, I could tell the difference of how I would have done it if I hadn't, if I didn't take the lesson. No, it was great. It was a great to learn. And, and I felt equipped enough that, as you said, we, we did it on our own. So we, uh, and we'll talk about that. We talked about that in the bit, but that was well worth it. And actually that wasn't too expensive at all. And the nice thing was you got to keep the ski. You took the lesson for an hour or so, or a few hours, then you got to keep the skis for 24 hours so that was included in the price so that was nice that uh for newbies like us we took the lesson and then we didn't have to go back and rent new skis we just kept the skis and everyone just kind of posts them up right outside and no one messes with them so it was uh pretty convenient and that was the same situation with the snowshoe also we did the snowshoe tour and then we were able to keep them and use them again the next day as well which we did so it's a it's a great way to kind of stretch out that lesson a little bit as if you're using the equipment uh, the next day on your own, it's a great way to kind of make it uh, a little bit more budget friendly. Yeah. So we did the next day we did, um, it was one of Zantara's tours to West Thumb Geyser Basin. The guide actually suggested if you have snowshoes, bring them along. So we did that. That was not that far away. We stopped at Kepler Cascades on our way, which was really beautiful. Um, you know, waterfalls, and um, we got to cross the Continental Divide, which is just a really cool thing to see that sign. Uh, did you think that was cool? I, I thought that was cool. Yeah, no, it, it, look, part of this is you're out in this spe- spectacular, and everyone knows Yellowstone is spectacular landscape, but being out there in the stark winter, blue sky, white snow, pine trees, it, uh, it was extraordinarily picturesque. And again, we'll, we'll come back to this is we felt as though we had the place to ourselves. We were going to places that in July, I'm sure West Thumb. You can't park in the parking lot, probably. Overrun. Yeah. And we were there just with our little snow coach, just the whatever it was, eight of us mm-hmm. or less. That was it. 
So, and again, with the snow, even though we were walking on boardwalks uh, in the West Thumb to the different thermal features, uh, we had to snowshoe it. Or I, some of us had snowshoes. We had snowshoes. We snowshoed some of it. It felt as though we were in the backcountry looking at, looking at thermal features that no one else gets to see, rather than we were in probably when it comes to summertime, a very heavily trafficked area where we would be uh, overwhelmed with, with other people. That's right. And so what did we get to see? We saw hot springs, geysers, mud pots, fumaroles, which are steam vents, and, um, and it's on Yellowstone Lake, uh, which was formed by a volcanic explosion 150,000 years ago. So um, very beautiful, very cool, cold, and, um, and the warming hut. It was nice to warm up there. Is there anything you want to talk about in terms of the... Uh, the West Thumb Geyser Basin, anything specific there? Uh, no, other than it was for us, this was a way to we got out of campus, right, where the snow lodge is, the Yellowstone Inn, where the, where the Ranger uh, Visitor Center is. So this was an excursion getting out from the general campus area uh, to a place a little bit more to see another end of the park. Uh, and again, it was uh, – it was a great snow coach ride, so it was a very nice balance of the snow coach. You have views out of the snow coach. You stop along the way, and then you actually get to West Thumb, and I think it was great to see the contrast of the thermal events, but the thermal events right on the water, right? So fishing pot, I think, was my favorite, where folks used to throw in fish they caught from the lake and, and instantaneously boil it. So, again, covered with snow, with not a lot of footprints around, so your imagination was able to to kind of run wild. And you know, when you were able to see the thermophiles, or, or at least the the thermal features that were of spectacular color, again contrasted with the white snow, we felt I felt pretty special, right? It wasn't. Uh, I'm sure. It's yeah, great I don't in think you get to see the colors as vibrant in the summertime. Um, next to the green grass and with the bright, bright sun. Um, the thermophiles are the microorganisms that, you know, trillions of them together give it the color uh, when you're looking at the hot springs. Or, or with the quiet, right? I think, uh, and that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into what we did for the afternoon, which was my favorite. I don't know if that was your favorite, but uh, so I think it leads into what was my favorite, which was, when we went back to the snow lodge for the afternoon, we didn't know what our energy level was, but we had the skis. And we ended up strapping on the skis kind of mid-afternoon, and we skied out to the uh, the Upper Geyser Basin Trail from Old Faithful to the Morning Glory Pool. And because we were so new, I did not realize. I just saw that as a trail, and we were told, look, for beginner skiers, uh, cross-country skiers, it's doable. So I thought, great, we'll go see some features. I didn't realize it was kind of the main trail slash boardwalk walk that one does from the visitor center out in the main area of the Old Faithful area. And again, in the summertime, I'm sure this is just covered with people. We were by ourselves. And And, it's an ADA trail. Yeah, and it's it's an ADA trail. So it was covered with snow. It started to snow again. And so we were by ourselves except for a um, a stubborn bison who just was In planted, the middle of the trail. Just posting up right in the, <laughs> right middle, in the of the trail, middle of the trail. Chilling. <laughs> so we had, to, we had to blaze a trail and go around him, which, of course, the safety is stay away, give, the, give wide berths to 
the wildlife, including the bison, especially the bison. Uh, but once we, we kind of left the main area, I felt as though we were really in the backcountry, that this was special and only for us. There was nobody else out there at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It started to snow, and the silence, uh, of the only noise being our skis, the thermal features, what we got to see, and then heading out to morning glory. And if we had more time, you could push on beyond that, I guess a little bit more of a difficulty level. And it goes to, I think, the honey pot or... Oh, our friends from the snow coach did that. can go beyond, which goes into the woods. But we just went to morning glory, which was totally fine. Because we started in the afternoon and we wanted to get back before dark and it was getting dark um, on our way back. Yeah. But if we did that in the morning, I'm sure we could have kept going. It, so that was my favorite. So not uh, to your point, Danielle, it wasn't anything that was part of a tour, although we had the skis from our lesson and just getting away the silence and having these spectacular features, which any other time of the year, and again, it's nothing again, you have to share it. It's just part of being in a park, but we didn't have to share it. It was just us and it felt, uh, it felt great. Right. So, uh, that was the highlight for me, which was pretty simple. Just skiing out along this ADA trail, which is a fairly basic, uh, fairly ba- basic conveyance, but seeing the thermal features, the backdrop of the mountains, the trees, the snow coming down, the quiet, it was wonderful. Seeing Old Faithful erupt in the distance. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> That right. was fun too. That's right. And um, we we did see on our way back, or maybe it was on our way out, uh, we took this wide berth to get around that stubborn bison in the middle of the trail, and there was a person that was like right next to the bison. I took a photo at the same time Old Faithful was going off in the background. It's a pretty cool picture, but I thought, oh, please let that person yeah. stay safe. That was not smart. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But uh, we, and, we, we played it safe and gave the animals a, a wide berth. And um, there's an app that you can download on some of the geysers that they uh, track in terms of when they'll go off. And as well as in the visitor center, they have the times. So I I looked at that. And of course, I was uh, disappointed that we weren't going to time it out right to see any of the ones along the way. But then we were pleasantly surprised, or I was, we came um, upon Grotto Geyser just as it started to erupt. And Brian got there first, he's looking at it, and then he moves on, and I arrive, and I look at it, and I was thinking to myself, why is he moving on already? Like, just stay the few minutes to watch it erupt, wait till it finishes. And then I look it up, uh, and I see that uh, it can erupt for as little as one and a half hours to 24 hours. So yeah. I thought, okay, I better keep going. <laughs> they're, they're, again, because it's the main, kind of the main drag, as it were, there are interpretive signs around most, if not all, of the thermal features. So, yeah, I did I did see that. Because that same thing, I was hanging around to see how long this would go, and I saw on the sign up to 24 hours, and I thought, all right, this, is, this will be here when I get back. So when we circle around. Uh, but, again, this was so... So that was, you know, we had a short trip here. The next day we were on our way out. Uh, again, we were in an early snow coach for uh, the second leg of this trip, which we'll have a separate podcast on, which that was spending a few winter days uh, in the Tetons. But any last thoughts about uh, Yellowstone in the winter? I-, I guess the big one, would you go back? I would definitely go back. And the drive 
back uh, back to Mammoth Hot Springs was also cool. We did a very, very good um, stop, and that was called Fountain Paint Pot Trail. We, oh, right. I forgot. Yeah. And that was so cool. And no matter what time of year you're there, um, you know, if you're there in the wintertime, hopefully your snow coach will stop there. Or if you're there another time of year where you're driving your own car, stop there. It was super cool. Well, what I, what I thought was, I agree, I, what I thought was cool was, whereas the day prior we got to see the thermal features, the backdrop of Yellowstone Lake, this was the backdrop being um, there was some there was some flatland, some meadow behind there, behind the thermal features. So you walked around and a little bit into the woods, but when you came back around, uh, you had the contrast of a meadow, and then in the distance you had some some more hills and geographic features. And so again, it was the the backdrop and the contrast. Uh, of seeing all these otherworldly thermal features and then, you know, a different backdrop than what we had a few days before. And um, there was the bacteria mat. That was really cool. And then all the other one, all the other features that I mentioned earlier. And um, the the guide for that day also was really informative. And um, he said, sometimes bison fall in to the features. And um, I got perhaps he said people may have fallen into you really have to be careful the crust uh, you are not allowed to step off the trail and it is for good reason oh it, absolutely it's it's serious we actually saw bison track on the thermal feature and the you know basically the bison got away with it it didn't it didn't break and go through uh, but yeah there no one should test that no one should test that there was actually some knucklehead had a drone, which are now banned in the park. And I guess this was just recently, and flew the drone right into one of the thermal features. And so now, now it's down there. And uh, so clearly, uh, you know, everyone should be respectful and take care of a lot of these resources. But the other thing that's really cool there, and we saw this um, throughout, is uh, the ghost trees. Oh, right. Yeah, that was... That was really special. So it's not, you know, the trees were covered in snow everywhere we went, but then there are trees that they call ghost trees. It's not from the snowfall, but it's from the condensation freezing. Yeah, which the ice coming off, and it makes it look like it was just a, a tree, some, you know, let your imagination run wild. Someone waved a wand and froze it in in glass or froze it just solid with ice. Uh, and in some ways it is, right? It's just encapsulated in the water vapor that then freezes. And so it, it looks like the whole thing is just frozen through. But just to, to, to wrap this up, wanted to, uh, you know, we were there without kids. Would you, I think the question is, given the weather, right, given that it is a little bit colder, the activities, would you do this with kids? Um, I would. It's, again, you talked about price. It's costly and... Um the kids, the stage where they are right now, I'd be afraid that they would just be complaining. But it was nice to see uh, children. There were kids maybe a little bit older than ours, um, you know, out there cross-country skiing with their parents. And yeah. I thought it was really sweet. And I could see doing that with our kids maybe in a couple of years when they wouldn't be whining about being cold. I, I agree. I, I, <laughs> I can't speak for all kids. My gut is... And our kids are seven and four now. If they're if 
that our kids or someone's kids were just a little bit older where they can be out there and active, uh, it would be certainly worth it, just like going to the parks are at any time. I'd say I would look askance at uh, at someone uh, a little bit younger than that because just figuring out their ability to stay outside, plus, you know, with kids, it was hard enough layering us up, right? So <laughs> just the extra time of layering up your kid and then unlay. You can see that it was great to be there. We missed him, but it was great to be there without him so we could be a little bit more nimble uh, in coming and coming and going. So I can see that, but uh, I'm with you. What I like seeing is uh, families with older kids, tweens and teens, that uh, were going to be there for the holidays over Christmas. And at night you saw them and the lodge puzzle out, board game out, just hanging out, um, coming together after a day out. I thought that seemed really special. And again, you and I don't come from a skiing, ski lodge culture. I imagine that's what it's also like for those who are skiers. Uh, but it was great to have that same culture, but in a national park as well. So, uh, yeah, to, to sum up, definitely I'm, I looked forward to and I was fantasizing about bringing our kids out at some point where they can enjoy it. But for that, for our few days there, again, we got lucky. And I don't know if I'd roll the dice like that again, but uh, we did get lucky. It happened. And what a great trip. It was amazing, and I thank you for planning it and uh, choosing that destination. It was really special place to spend my birthday. Well, thank Mother Nature for for uh, coming a few days before uh, we decide to fly out to dump all that snow on uh, on Yellowstone and the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. <laughs> so next time uh, we're going to continue part two of this. Will be uh, the back end of this trip was down to Grand Teton National Park and uh, and staying over in uh, Jackson, Wyoming. So that'll be part two. And we'll talk about some of the same things that uh, we talked about here, how we navigated it, how one should navigate it, some of the activities that we did, some things that we envisioned that we could be doing with children. And uh, we'll give that review uh, on the next go-around. Thank you, Brian. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Danielle. And as always, if you wouldn't be so kind to rate us, give us five stars, tell the friends, subscribe to us on iTunes and all the relevant platforms where uh, where this podcast resides. Thanks, everybody. We really appreciate it. And a reminder to please support the recovery from Hurricane Irma through St. John Rescue. St. John Rescue has a GoFundMe page dedicated to helping the victims of Hurricane Irma. Thank you for your help. Enjoy the national parks. Bye for now.